0: Hello, and welcome to Grain Insight, a CN update on getting your grain to market. I'm Stacey McCracken, and joining me is David Chednovick, Director of Sales and Marketing. David, let's start with an update on CN Canadian grain results for January.
1: Thanks, Stacy. CN shipped a record 2.96 million metric tons of Canadian grain and processed grain products by a car load in January, beating the previous record of 2.33 million by 27%. Crop year-to-date through January, CN shipped 17.5 million metric tons of Canadian grain and processed grain products, which is 17% ahead of previous record pace. CN shipped an average of over 7,000 cars a week of grain and processed grain products from Western Canada alone in January, compared to CN's maximum end-to-end supply chain capacity guidance for winter of 6,100 cars per week. For containerized grain shipments direct from Western Canada, CN remains on record pace as well having shipped over 600,000 tons through the end of January.
0: What were some of the factors that contributed to CN's record performance in January?
1: First, it's worth pointing out that overall traffic levels were higher than at the same time as last year. That's been the case since the fall. Second, achieving maximum sustainable end-to-end grain supply chain capacity levels, or exceeding them for that matter, requires fluidity across corridors, no major mainline disruptions, and normal winter operating conditions, among other factors. We experienced no major challenges here for the most part in January. We were very fortunate on the prairies and the temperatures were well above normal. I think January was the second warmest on record. We're seeing the benefits of the $10 billion worth of investments in the last three years to do things like extend siding, double mainline tracks, acquire 260 new locomotives, and acquire 2,500 high-capacity grain hoppers. And, of course, less extreme temperatures make for less difficult operating conditions. All these things have contributed to CN's strong operational performance in January.
0: That's a good place to shift gears and look at the dramatic drop in temperatures that hit the prairies starting in the back end of the first week of February. Can you give us a bit of context about that?
1: Definitely. The weather pattern really changed around February 5th, with an extreme outbreak of Arctic air hitting the prairies hard. That's a polar vortex thanks to the jet stream weakening, allowing for the cold air to expand to the south easily. It's hard to believe, but given the workings of a high-pressure system to the east, warm air is actually getting pulled north, allowing a callowit way up in Nunavut to hit the freezing mark on the weekend. In any event, the worst of the extreme temperatures hit on February 7th, when overnight lows hit minus 40 degrees Celsius between Saskatoon and areas west of Edmonton. That's also minus 40 Fahrenheit. CN's main line runs right through the area that was hit the hardest. Making matters worse, wind chill values hit minus 50 degrees Celsius in places like Saskatoon and Rosetown, Saskatchewan, and Grand Prairie and Edson, Alberta. Never mind wind chill values everywhere else being in the minus 40 to minus 50 range. The extreme cold warning stretched into northern Ontario as well. It's a stretch of time where the western region will experience persistent, very cold weather for over a week straight, and that's going to affect any outdoor operation, remembering that CN operates in the most northerly areas of North America of all the Class 1 railroads. We can never overstate enough how safety is our prime consideration. We have people out in these extreme cold temperatures, and we have to consider their well-being first.
0: What are some of the actions CN took in advance of this extreme cold weather outbreak to prepare and mitigate for its impact?
1: Well, I think the key word right there is mitigation. Winter comes every year, whether that's cold on the prairies or heavy rains on the west coast. The purpose of CN's winter plan is to outline the actions that CN is taking to mitigate the impact of operating in winter conditions for the movement of grain and other commodities such as lumber, potash, coal, intermodal, everything that CN moves on its lines. So first you have advanced warning through weather forecasts so you can plan ahead. To the extent that you can, you move resources into the regions that are going to get hit the hardest with emphasis on keeping yards fluid and preventing congestion. We have senior management coverage throughout the nights during these extreme weather events as well so people out there in the field to respond. To the extent that you can, you get certain work done outside the affected area, so there's there's less workload in spots. For example, that might be building car blocks somewhere else so you can bypass a yard that you know will be under pressure. We will also manage the flow of cars such that we don't push a bunch more traffic into the affected area. That would just cause more congestion. The key is to take all steps that maintain the fluidity of the main line and our key yards. That helps recover faster when you do get a break in the weather.
0: Let's get into the specifics of extreme cold impacts now. Where do you want to start off?
1: Well, a tipping point for rail operations is minus 25 degrees Celsius. Below that temperature, steel rail, steel wheels, and long compressed air brake systems become more vulnerable to problems that can disrupt normal operations. Welded rails become less flexible and can break, and frozen gaskets leak air at brake hose coupling, leaving the braking system more prone to malfunction. The primary consequence is the need to reduce train length to maintain safe operations of a train's braking system, remembering that it relies on a consistent flow of compressed air through the brake lines all the way from the head end to the tail end of the train. And remember that in optimum conditions, CN trains run up to 16,000 feet long, and minus 45 is not exactly optimum. You can't supply a consistent flow of air through brake lines all the way through the length of the train in that kind of weather.
0: Can you give some specific examples of how train length is restricted in extreme cold?
1: Sure thing. So CN has a four-tier system concerning the maximum permissible train length for non-intermodal trains and intermodal trains allowed at certain trackside temperatures. Average train length during normal operating conditions for a bulk train is 12,000 feet. Once we hit tier one, which is for temperatures between minus 25 and minus 30 Celsius, maximum train length for non-intermodal trains is 7,000 feet for a conventional train and 10,000 feet for a train with distributed power. And for each additional air source added beyond the 110 or 101 power configuration for distributed power, such as an additional locomotive or a distributed braking car, permissible train length can be increased by 1,500 feet per air source, up to a max train length of 12,000 feet. A maximum of five air sources can be used on a train. Train lengths are further restricted to Tier 2, which is minus 31 to minus 35, and Tier 3, minus 36 to minus 39. At Tier 4, which is minus 40 and below, Tier 3 length restrictions are in force and train operations are limited to daytime only.
0: You mentioned distributed power there. What is distributed power, and how does employing distributed power affect the ability to maintain air brake pressure?
1: Well, back in the day, the only locomotive power you'd see on a train would be at the head end. We call that conventional power, and conventional power is still employed today. Think about all the power up at the front of the train. All you're doing is pulling, dragging tonnage through curves. Technological change over time meant that the locomotive at the front end could control locomotives placed in the middle or at the end of the train, and an electronic telemetry device safely replaced the caboose. Now you have distributed power within the train. So instead of just pulling from the front, now you're pushing as well. That means better control of the train. The train rolls more freely and handles better. You have better distribution of air pressure in the brake pipe as the air compressors feed the pipe from both ends. You also have more efficient fuel consumption. That locomotive in the middle or the end of the train consist helps to maintain air brake pressure.
0: Can you discuss distributed braking cars and how CN employs them in winter conditions?
1: Think of a distributed braking car simply as a box car with a big air compressor in it. It helps maintain air brake pressure just like a locomotive would. TN is 101 of these cars in use in the 2020-21 crop year, deployed primarily along the main line. Back in 2017-18, we had 20. So you can see how much we've grown the fleet since then. As I mentioned earlier, for each additional air source added beyond the distributed power configuration, permissible train length can be increased by 1,500 feet per additional air source, up to a max train length of 12,000 feet, with a maximum sort of five sources of air to be used on a train, noting that this operating method does not apply to key trains.
0: Okay, in a moment, let's key into what a key train is. But first, what are some of the implications for the fluidity of CN's rail network of a long stretch of extreme cold?
1: Well, going a week straight with no let-up in the severe cold is going to have a more pronounced impact on end-to-end supply chain performance and network fluidity compared to if you go into the deep freeze for a day or two and then it warms right back up. That goes without saying. And it's not unlike the grain terminals on the west coast having to deal with a long stretch of relentless rain during the winter that impacts vessel loading operations steady, and then potentially leads to a knock-on effect on terminal performance when space gets tight. And we've seen that this crop year as well. When we run shorter trains, that simply means less capacity per train, plain and simple. You need more locomotives and crews to move the same amount of traffic. Shorter trains also mean more switching, and that also adversely affects fluidity.
0: Back to key trains. One of the significant considerations of the 2020-21 winter plan is the ministerial order concerning the movement of certain crude oil and liquid petroleum gas trains. Can you please explain it in more detail?
1: So the ministerial order targets these trains moving 20 cars as a block, or 35 cars dispersed through the train. Its intent is to bring greater safety to trains carrying flammable liquids. The speed of these trains is limited to 50 miles per hour from March to November, and down to 40 miles per hour from November to March. When the trackside temperature hits minus 25 degrees Celsius, speed is further reduced to 30 miles per hour in certain areas. While being fully supportive of the need for safe operations, CN is concerned that the slowing of these trains will have the effect of slowing all trains on the network, which in turn reduces capacity and risks congestion at the time of year when CN already faces difficult operating conditions. The low speed of any train, whatever the reason, creates the cumulative impact of limiting the speed of all trains behind it. Just as cars stuck behind a snowplow on the highway are forced to slow down to the speed of the snowplow, so too will trains stuck behind the crude oil and LPG traffic, regardless of what those trains are carrying.
0: Thanks for your time, David. And thanks for listening to Grain Insight, an update from CN.